lot of us are trying to figure out what the heck is going on in life. What are we doing? No one knows what's happening. And we can read 9 million self-help books and still be like, I'm lost. <laughs> and so, uh, so people see themselves, I think, in those stories of struggle, of insecurity, often more than they see themselves in story of success. This is Debbie, and welcome to another episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our nine to five. Hey friend, have you been feeling overwhelmed looking for the right online job? Maybe you don't have enough remote skills, or maybe you have no idea how to create a killer resume that will help you stand out from the crowd. I've learned that having a community of people supporting you through this process can be the deciding factor whether you make it or break it. That's why I am so excited to share that this September, we will be opening up our doors to our remote skills membership, where we teach you incredible techniques that will help you land online gigs by learning from leading experts every single month. Our membership will provide you with the skills you need and accountability partners that will help you succeed. For more information, visit learnremoteskills.com. Again, that's learnremoteskills.com. On this episode, I'm super excited to speak with James, who is an author, speaker, personal coach, MC, entrepreneur, and professional public speaker. He speaks internationally to willing and unwilling attendees about authentic leadership, vulnerability, and storytelling. So listen on to find out how James helps individuals to become authentic leaders. Hey everyone, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to be here with James. Hey James, how are you? What's going on, friend? Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) I love that you're here with us today, James, because you definitely made a huge impact on me when I first met you. I actually saw James on stage pitching himself to be on different podcasts. And now he is here with us today because he did such a great job. I'm sure you had like hundreds of people wanting you to be on their show or to even talk to you, right? (laughs) Uh, I don't like to talk about that in public. You know, it's not polite to kiss and tell. So... Well, James is definitely a character and you're so hilarious too. And obviously because of what you're doing right now and how amazing of a speaker you are, that is what you do professionally. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and why you live an offbeat life? Yeah, absolutely. So I am, uh, I'm a professional speaker. I had a full-time job for a while working uh, in higher education for a number of years and then uh, started speaking on the side. And then around 2013, I turned it into the main hustle and took to the skies to uh, have the opportunity to fly around the country and the world and get to share my message with, with whoever was willing or unwilling to listen. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so that's what I'm able to do right now. It's super fun. I built this career around uh, being a professional speaker. I'm also a life coach and I host my own events to help people get out of their own way uh, as well. And so it's, it's it's a really cool way to see the world. It's not too far off from what you were doing before, because as a educator, you're constantly in front of other people. And especially if you have an audience 
you know, whether they're adults or younger students, you definitely have to take their attention and put it to you because they do have a short attention span. I mean, all of us do. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and it, it definitely shows in the way you speak because from the moment you get on stage, you get us to look at you, to listen to you. How did you make sure that you were able to do that? I'm sure you've had a lot of practice in the classroom, but how did you transport that into stage? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it comes down to relatability. I think if you're going to be a good speaker and someone who's going to captivate on stage, it comes back to relatability. And a lot of people confuse relatability with credibility. Credibility is like your degrees. Relatability is uh, is what you actually do with the knowledge that you have from it. I think that's really what it comes down to is that, I mean, and also humor. I mean, my whole speaking style is I get people laughing and then I sucker punch you in the feels. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so that's, that's what really helps. I think my topic helps a lot too. I talk a lot about authenticity and vulnerability and the role that those play in uh, in building better leaders and also in leading more productive lives. And so I think those topics also yield themselves to uh, a more relatable moment. So that's kind of what I try to do. I think that's the way to bring it. Ultimately, I don't want to give a speech that I wouldn't also want to be in the audience for. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to be able to listen to somebody if you can't relate to them or you have no idea what on earth they're talking about. It's like, oh, okay, James, sure, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Especially today, right? I mean, we live in such a distracted world. I mean, I could tell very quickly how I'm doing or not based on how quickly the phones come out or don't come out. Or if the phones are out in the beginning because people are anticipating mediocrity, but then all of a sudden you start to watch people put their phones down and look at you, you're like, okay, I'm getting them. Yeah. And a lot of people nowadays, they don't care about your feelings. You know, it's you're either taking their attention or you're not. And they're off to something else completely. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. That's a whole big competition now. It's a very unforgiving area and career choice that you have gone on to. It's like being a comedian, right? You're on stage, you get a, you know, boo or even thrown stuff at you. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> except uh, except to, instead of tomatoes, people just throw shade, you know, it's a little different. <laughs> And in a lot of ways, it's actually worse because you take that with you in a longer term, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I did stand-up comedy for a long time. I really loved it. It's a huge rush. And there's no high like a stand-up high. Uh, but uh, Debbie, there's no low like a stand-up low. Uh, you learn very quickly if you're funny or uh, or not. And, uh, and it hurts. But with speaking, it's a little bit different because it's not just the jokes that I'm hoping people laugh at. It's also my story. And if you're not interested in my story, that means that I suck <laughs> or that I'm not interesting or that I'm not whatever, like blank enough, cool enough, funny enough, smart enough, hot enough, successful enough. Uh, and and those are the kind of things that kind of get into your head and, and really start to uh, smack around your insecurities. Yeah. And that can be a huge impact on you as a person because you're sharing and you're being super vulnerable on stage and then it just doesn't translate and you're asking yourself, what on earth happened? How yeah. come nobody's understanding where I'm coming from? Or 
I don't have their attention at all. So that is a really hard thing to deal with. How do you do that? How do you constantly put yourself up on stage knowing that you may have a really bad reception or nobody really cares? I think at this point, there's a lot of speakers that like to say the phrase, well, if I could just, if I could just touch one life, then I know I've made a difference. And uh, I mean, that sounds really cool and I understand it and I agree with it to a certain extent. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm a professional. So if I'm only moving one person in the audience, I'm not doing my job, right? I mean, even baseball players uh, get into the Hall of Fame if they hit the ball a third of the time. And so, so like I could at least aim for that. I think ultimately it comes down to, knowing that what I have to say matters. In the beginning, when I first started speaking, I actually didn't charge because I didn't think I was good enough. And more importantly than that, I didn't think my message deserved to be paid for because prior to that, all the experiences that I had seen of seeing motivational speakers, educational speakers, they all came from, uh, you know, they started from the bottom and now they're here. They came, they, they, had, they had an upbringing that was, they did not come from much. And then they, they grew into something really incredible. They overcame some odds or overcame racial barriers or, or, I mean, you know, this story as, as an immigrant yourself and those powerful immigrant stories or they're, or they're, you know, they were, they were, uh, they lost their leg in Vietnam and now they're doing something cool or, you know, all these stories. And I didn't have one of those. I mean, I'm a, I'm a privileged white boy. <laughs> uh, and like, I, so I was like, who wants to listen to me talk, especially like I talked to a lot of universities at the beginning of my speaking career. In the beginning, it was like, who wants to hear me cry about when I was homesick? It turns out that was a pretty big market. Uh, so that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's, it's a little bit weird, but you just have to you have to trust it and and you can feel it when it works. A lot of speakers need to be better listeners. And if you're listening to your audience, then you know it's working or not and you can pivot if needed. Mm, yeah, that's a really great point because it can be a really hard thing to find your niche and your topic. When you were trying to figure that out, I know you were looking at everybody else who are different types of speakers who had gone through all of these more, I guess you would say, traumatic things in their life. How did you pinpoint to the niche that you have now? And how did you know it was actually making an impact on people's lives before you even started putting those materials on stage? I think for me, it's it's interesting how I came to the topic that I mainly speak about now, authentic leadership, authentic life, is actually through reverse role modeling. <laughs> I had a supervisor, I had a supervisor at one of my previous jobs who she just didn't get it. And I was like, are you happy here? Like, why? what are you doing? Like we have the opportunity to work with all these college students and, and impact their lives. And this is a really cool time to get to work with people. I love working with college students because in high school, I think you learned who you are in college, you learn why you are who you are. And that's a powerful time to get to work with people, but she just wasn't getting it. Now, the way that she would talk about the work that we had to do uh, and the way that she would talk about students that would come up to her and ask her questions. It was just like, are you, are you enjoying this? Are you seeing the impact that we could have? She pushed a lot of people away in a place where we should be bringing a lot of people in and creating community. 
And a lot of it was because she was inauthentic. She would never admit that when she was doing anything wrong, I think leaders should take responsibility. She would never, uh, she would always pass blame to other individuals. It was just very interesting the way that she was as a supervisor. And I noticed a lot of people gravitating towards me and not gravitating towards her. And a lot of it came down to authenticity and, and vulnerability, relatability. And so that's really kind of how I started. And I was like, someone should talk about this. And that's kind of how I, I got it kicking. <laughs> well, it's always trying to delve into your own experiences that so many other people are also going through the same thing. So that's a great way to do that as well. And speaking of vulnerability, that your topic is definitely on point with that and what you speak about on stage. I think so many of us are so afraid to show that and share it because we don't want people to judge us and we don't want to show our weaknesses. And we don't also want to feel a sort of shame, you know, with maybe we're not doing so well and we don't want that to show with the audience that we have. How did you get over that, especially as a man? You know, a lot of men are really afraid to show that there is something else besides this like strength in them and to show that vulnerability with our audience. Yeah, for sure. I think first off, one thing I'll say is that it's nice because it's controlled. It's con it's a controlled release. <laughs> it's not like I'm up there uh, crying, though I do cry a lot. Uh, but that's anyway, that's, we could talk about that later. Um, but uh, so uh, so it's a controlled release. Like, I can control what stories I'm going to tell and how deeply I want to tell them. And so there's a little bit of control in there. But you're right. It, it still is interesting getting on stage and talking to people like, hey, here, here's where I slipped. Here's where I struggled. Here are my insecurities, but knowing that people will see themselves almost more in that than they will in my success is really a cool driver uh, because a lot of us are trying to figure out what the heck is going on in life. What are we doing? No one knows what's happening. And we can read 9 million self-help books and still be like, I'm lost. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so people see themselves, I think, in those stories of struggle, of insecurity, often more than they see themselves in the story of success. And so it's a powerful way to, to reach people. On top of that, I think you brought up a really cool point, Debbie, is that that men in particular are not good at this. And that's because, I mean, societally, we men are taught to be internal processors. It is more societally acceptable for women to be external processors. And there's nothing wrong with either of those. It's, it's just a fact. And so what I talk to, I actually talk to all male audiences from time to time, and I love being able to get to do that work as fascinating as a species as we are. Um, but uh, I talk to men about uh, why we offer often choose cool over great. Why we choose cool over great. And, and choosing cool uh, often looks like, uh, you know, trying to flex, trying to, trying to always be right. So you're talking over individuals. Being cool means trying to be defensive because we're more interested in being right than what is right sometimes versus great is, is that moment of recognizing that we're all out here trying to do the best that we can. And so let's be there for each other instead of trying to prove that we're so independent and manly and uh, and uh, but that's a tough place to be because men are societally taught to be something else. You definitely show a lot of vulnerability when you are on stage and it shows and you use it also with humor, which is 
relatable and we see you you're this big guy this tall big guy and we're like wow how does he do this you know and he's also really funny and you can relate to him like the stories that you tell are pretty incredible so it definitely shows and James is a excellent excellent speaker and has this presence when he goes on that stage and it just gives you more of an impact when you think you're going to get this very masculine man and then all of a sudden there's so much humor and vulnerability to it that it's just like oh my god where did this guy come from (laughs) I did not expect this (laughs) (laughs) I definitely look like I could be in the band Mumford and Sons you know (laughs) (laughs) for sure <laughs> like now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you would fit right in, James. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. Give me hand me a um <laughs> hand me a mandolin. Let's get to work. <laughs> One of the really interesting things about your career as a speaker is that you are able to travel to different places, right? Now, how are you able to do that? and become nomadic in your career. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that's a beautiful part about this. And that's one of my favorite parts about this life that I've built for myself. And my, my wife is also a professional speaker, actually, which is interesting because we often have a long distance relationship, even though we share the same address. Uh, <laughs> and um, but it's real. it's just such a cool way to see the country and see the world. I would say maybe, maybe 5% of my business is local, uh, within, within a three hour radius, five to 10%. And so that means I'm getting on flights multiple times a week and getting to explore, explore around. And for me, whenever I travel, uh, I'm someone who dives into wherever I am locally. Like I don't have, there's, there's some people and, and, and no disrespect, if this is your routine, there's some people who get to the city they're going to, they get to their hotel, they use the drawers in the hotel room, <laughs> they get set up, they go to the Applebee's that's in the parking lot of the hotel for dinner. They come back to the hotel and like, that's fine if that is your rhythm. But for me, I'm like, okay, what part of the country am I in or what part of the world am I in? What are you known for? And let me dive into that. Um, and so that's, I, I'd really try to take advantage of the opportunity uh, that I have every place that I go. Cause there's so many different ones and you know, it's kind of interesting that, Years ago, obviously, speakers have been around for a very long time, but now there's kind of a huge spotlight on a lot of you. You know, there's people who have become famous from TED Talks, you know, and then they start writing books and it becomes this whole movement, what they're talking about. I mean, have you kind of come across more of that now as the years go by that, people kind of see you as like a rock star in a lot of ways. (laughs) No, no, please. No autographs. No back. Get away. How'd you get in my house? Um, Sorry. Sorry. You know how it is, Debbie. Oh boy. Um, (laughs) uh, In short, no. I mean, it's not like people are stopping me on the street. I mean, I've done a TEDx talk. I I wrote a book. It's not like the TEDx talk has 9.1 9.1 million views and my book was a, a New York Times bestseller. I mean, the only reason my book is a bestseller is because it's the best-selling book I've ever written. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've only written one book too. Um, but uh, so I guess I can market it as a bestseller. But still, I mean, in those moments when you come off a stage, 
it's really powerful when people come up to you and that line forms and there's so many individuals that are like, thank you. Um, like you, you know, you made me think about something that I hadn't thought about or I was feeling stuck and you made me kind of gave me some tips and tricks for ways to get unstuck in my life. And I'm really excited to try some of those things. Or there's some people who do want to come up and just take a picture with you. I mean, th- those moments are short lived. They're really special when they do happen to know that that immediate impact of like, I made, I made a difference uh, today. And that, that's really special. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have, I mean, I can eat at restaurants very easily. <laughs> and if I call a restaurant and tell them who I am, they're like, cool, you have to wait like everybody else. So. <laughs> but I'm sure after you do your speaking engagements, people will be like clamoring all over you. And you're like, no, no, no autographs, please. <laughs> no autographs, no auto tag that out. You better tag all these photos on Instagram. Let's go. James T. Robo, tag it. Like tag yeah. me, tag me everywhere. <laughs> no, I mean it, it is. It's a really cool feeling, and that, that's the thing about speaking is that it's very much a little bit for you and a little bit for me because I love the opportunity to make people laugh and make people think. That's why I do this. Uh, but I also love the fact that I can be uh, in the spotlight. You know, I grew up on a stage. I do improv comedy now. I do a lot of improv, and uh, and, and so I still love that moment. I still love that attention. It would be ignorant of me to not also mention that that you know that's a win that I get mm-hmm. yeah as a speaker is and as an entrepreneur what has been the biggest setback that you are currently encountering the biggest setback that I'm currently encountering so it's it's actually pivoting so I as I mentioned I talk a lot of stuff uh, I talk a lot in um, in the university market and then three years ago I started trying to pivot and trying to talk more to the corporate market and I'm really excited to talk to adults I think you know leadership is a very transferable skill. And there's some really cool opportunities to do that. And then also this other, I'm making a new pivot too, uh, where I'm host, starting to host my own events and they're called Living Imperfectly. I help people get out of their own way. They're two-day retreats that happen all over all over the country. I try to do three, three a year. And those are really awesome. But it's very interesting to pivot from a market that you know very well to markets that you don't know very well. To places where I had a big network, to a place where I don't really have as much of a network. And it's, it's very very interesting to walk into those spaces and be like, no, I should matter here too. That's an interesting place to be for me. I know I have a lot of uh, imposter syndrome in those places sometimes uh, because, I mean, I grew up and worked in a, in a world where I said the word semester, right? Spring semester, <laughs> fall semester. I didn't say Q3 until like two years ago. Um, and so, so that has been, that has been interesting is trying to, to make that pivot for sure. And that's, I would say that's a place that is holding, that's holding me back a little bit to some of that imposter syndrome and really trying to lean into it. I have no idea what so many of those business terms are. And a lot of my, I guess, colleagues, if you can say them, or people in my industry would say a lot of things. I'm like, what? Do I have to Google this? What's <laughs> happening? Honestly, I just learned what Q1, 2, 3, and 4 meant like a year ago. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> You're making me feel better, Debbie. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I, I do it, but I don't know what it's called. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you thought you just came up with it. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm brilliant. <laughs> 
I'm like, I'm like a freaking genius. Oh my God. And then you meet people who have been doing this forever and they're like, what are you talking about? There's a name for that. There's a legit name for it. And you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So James, being on the road constantly and having transitioned from your regular day job to this, and obviously you and your wife are in long distance relationship most of the time. Well, not now, obviously, because I'm sure you're quarantined together, but (laughs) hopefully, hopefully. (laughs) How did you guys manage to save before setting off to this career as a speaker? And how do you continuously budget your money to last? Yeah, for sure. I don't know when this one will be dropping. And so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, a short answer to your last question about what's my biggest setback has also been COVID-19. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, where are we at with saving? Uh, fortunately, we've both built a, a successful a successful business where, I mean, I talk about, she talks about 70 to 80 times a year. I talk 60 to 70 times a year. And so, uh, we're able to to pocket some of that, uh, which is which is lovely, and try to put a bunch of that into into savings or into you know different financial pockets, if you will. And so, I think a lot of it is 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 trying to take a specific percentage of each speech and be like, okay, this percentage is going to go to taxes, this percentage is going to go to here, this percentage is going to there. Those are the kind of things that have helped me out a ton, for sure. I think that in the beginning, in the beginning also when I was doing the side hustle piece of it before I went full on uh, entrepreneur, it was okay, whatever money I'm making from the side hustle, I either want to invest that into more marketing for the side hustle or I want to put it into a savings account because there's going to be some point where I'm going to take a leap and I'm going to need at least, you know, three, four, maybe six months of cash to be able to carry into that. Um, so that, that's one of the biggest ways that I did it. Uh, nothing revolutionary. I mean, it's it's the simple things of just like, hey, you know, maybe I'm not going to eat out as much. Maybe I'm not going to shop at Whole Foods. Instead, I'm going to go to the local grocery store. Uh, yeah, just, just little things like that, I think, are the ways that I've truly done it. And also, it's knowing what we're looking forward to. And so how can we budget to that? For example, every other year, my wife and I have made it a goal to live on another place on this earth for one month or six weeks. So we last year, we lived in Italy for five weeks and we got this Airbnb halfway between Florence and Siena. And and, and that's something that we know that we're going to try to do every other year. It's like, okay, so how much does that cost? Let's also try to be preparing for that and budgeting for that. And so those are all kind of some of the goals that we have and the way that we do it. I would not say that we do anything that's extremely revolutionary, but it's been working for us. Yeah. Preparation and self-control is definitely key to longevity when you are self-employed and you have your own business. Otherwise, it can really take you down. You know, you can just be spending money here and there and pretty much everywhere, especially for somebody who travels and are constantly on the road, there's always going to be something you want to spend, you want to spend on, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's something I struggle with. Again, I mean, I mentioned that I love to experience local places and stuff like that. Sometimes, I mean, those those local eateries, that's, that's more expensive than just going to Wendy's <laughs> really quick. You know, I could definitely 
ball on a budget and eat fast food everywhere I travel, but that's a place where I choose to spend money. I mean, I'm not, I'm not finding the, the local Michelin star restaurant, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not just doing Chipotle burritos either to try to, to try to pinch a few dollars when I'm on the road. There's, it's about trying to figure out what matters to you. And I still have to enjoy it. I still want to, I mean, the road is one of the things I enjoy the most. And so why would I take away some of those aspects of the work that I get to do that I love. Yeah. And balancing that can be really tough for sure. Now, James, managing your life on the road, I mean, I don't know about you, it can get really tough, especially if you've been on the road for a little while. And it does take, for me, a mental, you know, a mental health is definitely taking a toll on it. Now, how do you manage that, especially since you're constantly in new places and most of the time you're on your own, you're away from your family and friends and your wife. I mean, even if you're an extrovert, you know, it does take that toll on you. I mean, right now with COVID, it's like for those introverts, this is like, heaven for them <laughs> but you know for extroverts so I don't know like does it I mean you look like you're definitely an extrovert I don't know that for sure because there's I wasn't a lot of hiding people. that was I, was, you know, I yeah tried. yeah I tried <laughs> how do you manage that you know how do you keep yourself the way you are especially for somebody who is a speaker and people look to you to have a positive attitude all the time like do you go to your hotel room afterwards and just curl up in bed and like <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. As you mentioned, I am indeed an extrovert. I don't hide that well. I think for me, that's actually one of the things that I love about the road. And that's maybe one. I think that's the thing that a lot of people tire of the road. And I, I talk to a lot of fellow speakers and they're like, oh, I'm tired of being a road warrior. I'm not there yet, Debbie. I, I assume that will happen, you know, potentially if, if my partner and I are able to have children, then maybe that, that will change. Uh, but right now I still, I'm still super excited for it. That's why quarantine is so hard. I haven't been on a plane in, in a month. And that's the longest time I haven't been on a plane in, in a very long time. And, and it just feels weird. I like, I like a plane flies by my window and I, a window and I look at it longingly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, through your sad playlist. But when I'm on the road, I actually... I struggle with being productive on the road because I'm trying to spend so much time with other people. That's one thing. As an extrovert, I love new. I love meeting new people, getting to impact new people. And so if I'm going to a place, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm going to come and speak to y'all. Then, you know, can we have dinner afterwards? You know, you get to work hard. Can I take you out for a drink? And, you know, and go out with the conference hosts and try to spend a little bit of that time. So, or I'm meeting up with people that I know in those cities throughout the day. And it's been a really cool way to reconnect with individuals that normally would be a phone call or a social media post. It's a little bit different. So right now, as far as the toll that it takes on my mental health, what there are two things that I would say to that. One is that being on the road, it makes me feel alive. But I am now in a relationship. I'm now in a relationship. We've been married a year. I'm now in a relationship where I, I miss her. And that's really cool. Um, I think it's important to be in a relationship where, where you miss each other. And I, I think we're fortunate that we do have the opportunity to miss each other too. Um, now in quarantine, I don't know how couples do this where they see each other every day. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's weird. Uh, but we have a 10-day rule. So if we are going to be apart for more than 10 days, we know that at around the 10-day point, it goes from I miss you to, okay, where the hell are you? And so it's like one of us will either fly to the other one or make sure that our schedule 
schedule is set up so that we both are either coming home or flying to, you know, if I have a gap in days, maybe I'll fly to one of where her gigs are and spend a couple of days with her there. But those are the kind of things that we need to do for our relationship and that we found success doing. And then the other thing, the last thing I would say to answer that question is that, again, my productivity goes down when I'm on the road. And so when I'm home, I'm sometimes not as present because I'm trying to check all these boxes that I could have done on the road, but was too busy being in the moment. And so then when I'm home, I'm not as present when I'm home. And so that that's a balance that I need to work on, both for my own sanity and also for my relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge misconception that a lot of people think when you're on. Well, actually, with you, you are able to take it you know, and really live in the moment. And I think a lot of us who do work on the road, it's hard for us to do that. And it's just constantly work. So actually with you, it's the total opposite. You're like, let's live in the moment. Let's do all of this. And in a way, that's kind of good, James, because, but then, yeah, you're right. This is a really confusing way to do it. Because I'm like, what is a good balance for that? You know, I guess work and living in the moment at the same time. And then do yeah. that when you're at home too. I'm like, come on, <laughs> right? Uh, how how do we solve this, James? Come on. Yeah, I have no idea, right? <laughs> it's funny. I this is going to get a little morbid real quick, Debbie. Stick with me though. Um, but I uh, I live my life based on what I want to be said in my eulogy, mm. and mm. so the way that that impacts me on a day-to-day basis is the way that I have conversations with folks and the time that I choose to give to other people. I love, I love giving that time to individuals, but it means that I don't get a lot of time. And so that stresses me out sometimes on the back end because there's things that need to do, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's sexy part of all of our jobs that we all love, but there's also the grease that keeps the engine moving that doesn't look as good, but you need to put effort into. So that's the interesting thing for me is Finding the balance between presence and legacy is kind of something that's always a push-pull that's happening inside of me. Mm-hmm. Well, you have made this easy for me to transition to my next question, which is <laughs> let's fast forward to 30 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you want to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? So a tangible thing that I want to have is that I I actually just started this project this week after having the idea for six years is that I I want to have my own talk show. And I'm really excited about that because I think some of the best conversations that we have in our lives occur after 11 o'clock over milkshakes and uh, late night eateries, (laughs) late night tacos, late night, whatever it is. But I love those late night delirious conversations with our best friends when we all look like a hot mess and it doesn't matter. So I love to create those. And so I'm trying to do that in show form. And so that's, I guess, a tangible thing that I really, a dream that I have and that I'm starting to try to figure out what it could look like. But more importantly than that, I want to be remembered as someone who made people pause. Just pause for a moment. I want to be the individual that made people just take a second to be like, hang on. Where am I? What's going on? Am I happy? Do I feel purposeful? Does this feel right? And if it does, then cool. Let's keep it going. Let's keep the train running. If it doesn't, let me pivot. Because so many of us just keep going, right? We've heard the hamster wheel analogy a million times. So many of us just keep going, but we rarely just pause and take a second to think about what's happening right now? Do I like it? Do I not like it? Does it feel in alignment with me or does it not? 
And I think if we all paused just a little bit more, then we would live our lives a little bit more on purpose and not as we quote unquote should. Yeah, that's a really great legacy. And I can definitely see you become a talk show host, James. <laughs> Let's go. I will him. watch you. I yes. will do it. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. I mean, I, I know I know that 2020 is canceled because and, you know, I am also saying that we're not aging this year as well. And we're doing 2020 next year. So mm -hmm. you'll have all this time to think about this. And we really need to make this happen. Come on, everybody. Yeah, I just started. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, literally next week, next Wednesday, next Wednesday, I'm actually starting. It's called Diner Talks. Diner mm. Talks with James is going to be a Facebook Live thing. Yeah, so it's going to be right off my Facebook page that I have. And so I'm, I'm starting next week and we're just going to try to get it going. There's something interesting about this quarantine time where it feels like it feels like no matter what happens during this time, I could just go back to my normal life afterwards. So why not? <laughs> so why not try something right now? It's like a little Groundhog's Day a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, I'm like, screw it. Let's go. Let's try. I definitely feel like we are living in that movie and it's kind of insane because I don't even know what day it is anymore. And I'm like, does it even matter at this point? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much, James, for speaking with us. If our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can look up my name on, on Facebook or, or whatnot, but I would say that I'm James T. Robo, James T. Robo, R-O-B-O, on all social media platforms, been posting some meaningful stuff on Instagram. Uh, again, that Facebook page is James T. Robo, and uh, that's where I've been posting a lot of stuff on my email. That's also my website, jamestrobo.com, email address, james at James T. Robo. You know how branding works, folks. Uh, <laughs> and so, so those are the best places to find me. Perfect. Thank you so much, James, for being here with us. I really appreciate it. This was so special, Debbie. And thank you for what you're doing for all of us that are out here wandering. Oh, thank you, James. I hope you enjoyed this interview with James. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview where he shares how to create a powerful impact as a speaker and storyteller. Hey friend, have you been wanting to start a podcast? I know it can be overwhelming in the beginning. Believe me, I have been there. Lucky for you, we have created a new site called howtocreatepodcast.com that shares a ton of freebies that can help you get started. From launching, growing to monetizing, we share it all in one place. Visit howtocreatepodcast.com for more information. Hey, listeners, thank you for listening to this episode, and I'm so thankful for your support. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and get suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, and so much more. Feel free to reach out at hello at theoffbeatlife.com and let me know what you'd like to hear. If you like the show, don't forget to give us some love and review on iTunes. Thank you again for being a part of this journey, and I can't wait to hear how your location-independent story will unfold.